from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verse 7. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Well, that was only four verses, and I don't want you guys to be shortchanged. So to help us understand this text better, let's read it again. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's begin with prayer. Father, no one's ever loved us like you have. No one's ever served us like you have. There's no one like you. And it's because you became a servant to your people that you have revealed yourself as the worthy Lord. You didn't have to do that, but you did. We pray that you would put these words in our hearts and you would make our identity all about you so that we would know who you are and in seeing you and being served by you, become like you. In your mighty name, Jesus, amen. amen. Okay, is there anybody who's bold enough to say that when we read this, you were a little bit offended? I got a nod. I got a hand. I got a, hand. I got a half a nod. <clears throat> Why was that offensive? What? Because what? Because you don't get paid. Mm. Who doesn't like to be told they've done, they've done a good job? Who doesn't like to be told they've done a good job? Who doesn't like to get thanks? Never in my experience have I known anybody that didn't thank the servant or whoever when they did stuff like this. Jean said, never in her experience has she known somebody who didn't thank their servants when they did stuff for them. When we study the Bible, we shouldn't just read it, we should talk to him. So let's tell him. Lord, when I read this, I was offended. Please transform me by your gospel 
so that I might be offended in the right way and so that I might understand what you're saying to me and not walk away offended and that's it. Amen. I may find this passage offensive because I'm being told to work all day planting and plowing a field that is not mine, taking care of sheep that belong to a very wealthy shepherd, and then at the end of the day, I'm told not to relax, not to recline. I'm told I don't get a thank you. I'm being commanded by my master to do things when I'm hungry and thirsty and tired. And then, when it's all finally over, I'm supposed to like it. I'm supposed to know my place. I'm supposed to think it's not my place to sit down and eat whenever I want. I wait on this man who is better than me to be satisfied with the fruit of his land and I'm supposed to be good with that because I'm just a servant. No, no, you don't need to say thank you. I'm just doing what you told me to do. You can tell me to do whatever you want and I'm really just here to serve you. Well, that's the American dream in a nutshell. <laughs> Is that what you signed up for? Is that how you learned Christ? It's not how most of us learn Christ. Most of us heard if we confessed our sins, they were forgiven, and then we were saved, and we were going to heaven. And many of us are still in between that and knowing Christ. So is that what this passage said? Did I misunderstand what Jesus said? We read it twice. Let me encourage you that if you were offended by his words, you probably understood exactly what Jesus said. But you probably have not understood him. This passage is offensive to us because we want to be the boss of ourselves. I think it was offensive to the disciples to whom Jesus was speaking, too. And they didn't get it either. Listen to this, Matthew 18, 1. <clears throat> At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You remember that one? That was what was like really on their mind. Mark 9, 33. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Luke 9, verse 46. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. Luke 22, 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Are you starting to see what's on the disciples' mind and heart as they live with Jesus and hear his teaching? They're like in church 24-7 for a few years here at this point, and that's what they're thinking about. And when Jesus said this, they were surely offended, and they didn't get it. Our passage that we read this morning is all about identity. The disciples were ambitious for power, for respect, for a higher place in society. They wanted 
maybe control, certainly recognition, and maybe to be rich, the last thing that they wanted was to be last place. When Jesus said these things to them, as we read this morning, they would have been a little humiliated. Why? Because their identity was all wrapped up in what others thought of them. But notice that they were arguing with each other about who thought who was the greatest. So whose opinion counted to them. They weren't so concerned with what God thought of them. So is that what you're like? That is sometimes, if not often, what I'm like. Is that what you're like? Do you feel that? Spend the next year or two and ask yourself how much you care about what other people think of you. If you're a father, you'll understand this. Do I quickly flush with anger when I feel that my wife or my kids are disrespecting me? Have I had violent thoughts? That's a sign that I'm thinking about being the greatest among my family. I'm not thinking about Jesus as the greatest. Nor do I care if my family thinks he's the greatest. Like the disciples, when we hear this passage, and we hear Jesus by the Holy Spirit saying these things still, because Jesus is still speaking, we may become easily offended because we would rather be kings and queens and get respect and whatnot than be servants. Or if you watch a lot of Disney, maybe you want to be a princess. This passage really shakes up our identity, doesn't it? If you were born in America, you might regularly have thought thoughts like, don't tell me what to do. What I do is my business. And you're not the boss of me. Or maybe, I'm going to do me. Right? Those things go through our heart and mind. And uh, a lot of times they come out our mouth. Our passage this morning is all about identity, but it isn't about our identity. It's not about your identity. If you read this passage with us and you thought it said, I should be a servant, you read it wrong. This passage is about Jesus' identity. Like the rest of the scriptures, this passage is first about Jesus and then second about you. And like the rest of the scripture, if you read this passage by itself, like we just did, without thinking about how it fits into what God has been doing in the world since creation, you won't get it any better than the disciples did. So to understand it, let's think about where this passage fits in this, into the storyline of the Bible. I'm going to go through the storyline of the Bible, and I want to ask you to uh, please raise your hand when we get to the right spot. God created the world. Adam rebelled. God made covenants. God called a mixed people out of slavery to be his holy people. They rebelled. The land vomited them out because of their sins. Move over here. God sent his son to seek 
and to save what was lost. The disciples didn't get it. (laughs) Jesus washed their feet and then died for them. The disciples still didn't get it. He was raised from the dead. The disciples still didn't get it. (laughs) He appeared to them many more times, then ascended to his throne in heaven, then sent the Holy Spirit to create for himself a holy people who would glorify God. We've got like five hands back there. Yeah, it's okay, we'll go back. And then he'll return to receive the kingdom of people that he has been sanctifying, hopefully you. So we go back. Where are we here? Um, uh, God sent his son to seek and save what was lost. The disciples didn't get it. I see that hand. I see that hand. Jesus washed their feet and then died for them. Yeah, they were at the first. I didn't get it. Jesus hadn't yet washed their feet or died for them. In this passage, the disciples don't get it because they haven't yet seen Jesus finish his work. Because they didn't yet understand Jesus' identity, they didn't understand their own identity, and they were still all wrapped up in being the greatest and not wanting to be told what to do. By the way, in the verses prior to our passage, uh, Jesus had just told them, you know, if somebody sins against you, forgive them, and if he keeps sinning against you, forgive him 70 times 7, right? If he repents, you must forgive him. And the disciples are like, it's pretty radical. And they say, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And then he speaks what we read this morning about being a servant. They couldn't yet say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. They couldn't say that thing. Jesus revealed his identity in Luke twenty-two twenty-four. We read that verse already. Let's read it again. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Verse 25, which we didn't read. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors right? They get a lot of respect. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. For who is greater? One who reclines at table? Do you recognize that phrase from our passage? Who is greater? One who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? but I am among you as the one who serves. This passage is first about Jesus in that he describes what he did, or rather what he was about to do. In John 13, he actually washes their feet. You remember it. He gets up in the middle of the Passover meal, and he puts on servant's clothes, which weren't real impressive. And he goes around, And back then in the city streets, there wasn't just dust and dirt. Um, There was was feces. So people wore sandals. Um, I suppose some people might not have been able to afford sandals. Uh, So if you walked around 
in any street, which they just had. Your feet would not just be dusty. They wouldn't just be smelly, because this is a pretty hot climate. They would have been very sweaty. They would have had some dung on them, and it probably wasn't just animal dung, right? Feet are way dirtier in that culture than in ours. And Jesus, dressed in this not very impressive uh, outfit, gets down and he starts taking off their sandals, untying their sandals, and he gets water and, he, and he's washing their feet with like his sacred hands. His hands are, that are the same hands that made the world. And he's washing their feet like a, like a lowly servant in their house. And, and Peter, was, Peter was very upset. He's like, hold up, one thing I know. You will never wash my feet. And you know how it goes. He says, unless I wash you, Peter, you have no part of me. Brilliant guy. He's like, okay, uh, not just my feet. Um, you know the rest? <laughs> and he's like, hold up, hold up. You know, somebody who's at a bath is already clean. You know. He was already clean because of the word Jesus had spoken to him. But it was Jesus' plan to not just create the world for a people who would rebel and not just send his son into the world for a people who wouldn't get it and not just wash their feet and then die for them who still wouldn't get it and then rise from the dead and they still wouldn't get it, right? You remember what they, one of the first things they said right before Jesus ascended to his throne? What did he say? What did they say? Yeah. Will you, will you now restore the kingdom, right? So they think, now, now is the time of our power. Now we're going to be kings. Now life is going to be good. Now we're going to rule like you said, right? They still didn't get it. But that was Jesus' plan because that's who Jesus is. Because as the creator and maker of the world, he being glorious and glorified and worthy of all that glory has in his heart to stoop low. And after having been ministered to by Jesus day and night for those years, and then having their feet washed, and then having his blood shed so that their blood wouldn't have to be, then he poured out the Holy Spirit on them, and about that time they really started to get it. And that's usually what most of our Christian lives look like. We usually spend quite a few years hearing things about God, and maybe we read the Bible, and maybe we go to church for a while, and we read things like this, and we think, okay, the moral of this is I should serve and like it, and we don't really get past the grumbling phase of our coming to Christ. So this passage is first about Jesus in that it describes what he did. He has served us by washing our sins away. When you, like me, have been convicted by the Holy Spirit of your sin again and again, and when you have experienced him, like me, wash away your sin again and again and cleanse you and meet you for a new day with the words of the Scripture that his love endures forever, and his mercy is new every morning. Many mornings I've awakened to that, having remembered yesterday's sin and confession, and 
I usually don't wake up thinking very highly of myself until evening when I get full of myself again and then go through the process. When you experience Jesus cleansing you in that way, day in and day out, as you go through the gospel process of becoming enlightened to, how, to, to a little bit of how wicked we are, and then we acknowledge our sin before the Lord, and then he separates our sin from us like east from west, which is a long ways. It changes you. The reason that we can serve is because he has served us in the gospel. He's fed us with his body and his blood by washing our sins away. Because we've been served, we're transformed to become like him. Before the crucifixion, the disciples are always thinking about who's the greatest. But after the crucifixion, if you guys have read uh, uh, Paul's letters, Peter, Timothy, those books almost all start with the author saying, you know, it's me, I'm a bond servant of Christ Jesus, and I'm writing to you, God's holy people. Before the crucifixion, the disciples are always arguing with, getting in fights about who's the greatest. Afterwards, the first thing out of their mouths is, I'm a, I'm a bond servant. So if you look at our text today, Luke 17, 7, there's a little teeny tiny number that's not in bold. In uh, the Pew Bibles, it's a number five. It says, will any of one of you who has a servant, and there's a little number five. So that means, that's a footnote. Uh, at the bottom it says, number five, Greek bond servant. Also in verse nine. So the Greek word here is bond servant. That's explaining what specific type of servant this is in our passage. What's a bond servant? Slave, okay. Give me more. One who's indebted to someone? Give me more. One who's been bought? More. Covenant. What are you talking about? They had an agreement together that was binding for the rest of his life. Yeah. In many cases, his servant lived to make his master great and enjoyed that process. So a bond servant is a specific type of servant. And in that culture, you know, um, uh, if you were captured at war, you might be a servant, or if you declared bankruptcy, you would not just declare bankruptcy and necessarily be good, uh, you'd declare bankruptcy and said, but I'll still pay my debt, and now I'm your servant, so you're an indentured servant. But then there's the bond servant. The bond servant had become a servant for whatever reason, and then when the time of, uh, of that servant's service was up, you know, let, let's say you, you run out of money, you still owe 130 grand, and you say, all right, that's this many years, and then you serve the guy for that many years. You know, it was like a legal thing. You had a contract, maybe. And then at the end of your time of service, you'd go back free, and now you were debt-free, right? That's how they did bankruptcy. So, so a bond servant has finished the time of service. It's time to go out and go be a, be a free citizen or whatever, a free man. And he says, I don't want to. 
And he would go to his servant and say, I don't want to go free. I want to stay here and be your servant and be part of your household. It's like becoming part of the family. You, you were like a permanent part of, of that household of people. And you permanently put yourself in the position of being indebted for the rest of your life to that uh, household head, that Lord, right? And you would take an awl, and you'd go over to the doorpost of the house, and you'd put your ear up to it, and then your, your master that you were making this commitment and permanent covenant to would take the awl, and he would pierce your ear. He'd, he'd drill a little hole through your ear. It's a little different than what you do at the mall when you're 15 and your parents don't know you're there. <laughs> or if you're Hispanic when you're one month old. And they would drill a hole into the doorpost so that hole didn't go away, right? Unless they did some major renovations. The hole stayed there. And every time you walked in and out of the door, your house there was the hole. And you'd get an earring. And that was your bond servant's earring. Now you're a bond servant. You're a member of that household for the rest of your life. You chose this. If you're, uh, if you're into military culture, you might know, I think, uh, Adam, is it the Rangers that say, I chose this, sua sponte? Is that, that those guys? Yeah. You know, and so when, when, they're, when they're in the midst of the hardest weeks and years of their service, they might say to encourage one another um, with the word sua sponte. You know, we, we chose this. Like, I'm a volunteer. Bond servants are volunteers. They weren't forced into service. They chose it. That helps us understand this passage very differently, doesn't it? You might not be quite so offended. You might not feel quite so oppressed when you read this. But we said this is first about Jesus. After the crucifixion, when the disciples got it, when they got that he came not to be served like he should have been, he's God, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, when they finally got it and that sunk into their heart and soul because they realized he did it for me, when they really got it, then they start calling themselves bond servants of Christ Jesus. They had come to know Jesus as the Lord who, unlike all other lords, came down and served them. That's how we serve Jesus. That's why we serve him. But that's not the only reason we serve him. We also serve him with the expectation of reward from him. Luke 12, 37 says, Jesus says, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. That's what we're hoping for and looking forward to. That wasn't just talking about the upper room, right? This happened in Luke 12. Our passage today is in Luke 17. That wasn't just talking about the upper room when Jesus, you know, found his servants ready for the Passover meal and dressed himself for service to serve them. It's talking about something yet future that all of us will experience and are experiencing 
we are being washed by his blood, and we will eat at his table. Brothers and sisters, this is our hope. When things are bad, when you feel you've been burned or taken advantage of, when things aren't going very well with your relationships with others in the church, which is the case for all of us at times, our hope remains that if we endure, we will, uh, he will find us awake or ready or still looking forward to and trusting in him when he comes, and he will dress himself for service and have us recline at table, and he will come and serve us. Can you picture that? Think about the appearances of God in the scriptures, in glorious light, Jesus' face shining like the sun, his clothes being transformed and shining white like nobody on earth could bleach them. Would Christ, does the, does the Jesus that you have accepted, uh, is he going to come and serve you? Yeah, if you are found ready and waiting for him, he will serve you and invite you to his table like he washed the disciples' feet. When this is your hope, you will say like John the Baptist in John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. You remember what was happening there? Um, all, of, uh, all of John's disciples who he'd been like teaching and pastoring and ministering to for quite some time, uh, started leaving him and going to follow Jesus. And somebody nicely came and told him like, hey, your disciples are going and following Jesus. And, and what's his response? Is he like crestfallen? Is he like my ministry is over? You know, because he's about to go to prison and then he's going to get killed, right? So he's, his, his career is certainly going downhill. And his response is in faith, he must increase, I must decrease. He had been transformed by Jesus. When you have experienced this kind of radical forgiveness and cleansing, and when you have known Christ as the Christ who has served you, is serving you, and will minister to you, you will look, you, you, will, do, you will no longer be doing things out of selfish ambition, but in humility, you'll count others better than yourselves. You will look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You'll have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, being in the fo who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. Like, that was a lot of humbling already. He humbled himself more by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The reason 
that we can serve and be good with it and be at peace and content in that role is because he has served us in the gospel. He's fed us with his body and his blood by dying in our place and taking the death for us. And that has become cleansing of our sin. And we have received and been fully clothed with his righteousness, not our own. That's like our bread and butter now. That's the gospel we think through and embrace every morning. We also serve with the expectation of reward from him. Luke 12, 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If you endure, you will also reign with him. As Jesus said to his disciples in Luke twenty-two twenty-eight. you are those, this is after the crucifixion, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And if we endure, we will also reign and eat at the table of God with the disciples who came before us, who, like us, didn't get it, but who, like us, Jesus never gave up on to death. Let's pray. Father, we've never known anybody who didn't give up on us like you didn't give up on us. The scripture says when father and mother forsake us, the Lord will take us in. And we have found that all of our relationships with people are not quite so steady as we would have hoped. We have been disappointed. We have found that in all of these things, and in all of the service and the suffering through which you went and to which you have called us, you have been with us. You never left us. You never forsook us. And our hope is that one day we will see your face and eat at your table and, and know you even more deeply than we have come to know you now. So to this end we pray that you would reveal yourself to us and transform us to be like you and to enjoy the pleasure of being served by you. Thank you for your body and your blood and thank you for the bread and the cup that we will later partake of. In Jesus' mighty and holy name, you who came to serve a people you made who didn't deserve it, we bless you and any glory we ever get will be yours and belongs fully to you. We've, we've only done what you told us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.